Um, for those of you guys who are new, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I am one of the pastors here. I'm glad you guys can be with, here with us at Redemption. Um, if you have any questions regarding redemption or ways in which you want to get connected, why don't you guys go ahead and take that information card that's in the seat in front of you. At some point during the service, fill out your name, your address, your email address, and then we'll be able to get back to those questions. And then later in our service, you have an opportunity to drop them off in the offering boxes. Um, before we jump into the text, a couple things I want to place before you guys. One is this Wednesdays we were having, this next Wednesday we're having First Wednesdays in this room from 6.30 to 8. If you've never been the first Wednesday, I highly encourage you to come this Wednesday. It's going to be a little different than normal. Um, we're going to have an art gallery, um, if that's the way that I'm supposed to say it. And so I'm going to have to lead it. And so we're going to um, do some different things. And so I would come. There's going to be painting. There's going to be drawings. There's going to be some interpretive dance by myself and Pastor Justin. So poetry, spoken word, and song. All of that was true except for the interpretive dance part. Um, free food for you guys. Bros and Brew, um, who is, a, who is a, a coffee place here in the, in the valley, here in Tempe, is going to be able to cater that. And so we got an opportunity to be able to test out that food, and it's really, really good. And so if you don't have any money, you don't have any friends, you should come. If you have money and you have friends, you should come. If you're looking to meet people, you should come. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you should come. And so in essence, every single one of you guys should be here this Wednesday from 6.30 to 8 p.m. There will be child care provided. We'd love to see you guys. Um, next, we're doing, one, we're doing just one day of Christmas Eve services. We're not doing Christmas Day services. And so we're going to do two services here on Christmas Eve. We'll do one at 4 p.m., and there'll be child care for our younger children. And then there'll also be an 11 p.m. service. And so we hope to see you guys at one of the two. 11 p.m., that's for all of us who are used to going to midnight mass. You can come back. We can actually usher in Christmas together at the end of the sermon. All right? And so 4 p.m., we'll have the children up here. They'll be doing their play. Uh, today, all the little two-year-old, three-year-olds, and four-year-olds got a chance to practice. And I left the room as fast as I could because I'm thinking, that's terrible. So they will be here safe. Hanging. Oh, what? It is. I mean, that's Caitlin. She does a good job with them. And my son was fortunate enough to be picked to be a donkey. And so he's excited about that. He's excited. The bachelor kid gets, that's good. That's good. I told him, you have no idea. But when you get older, just wait. So we'd we'll, love to see you guys on Christmas Eve. Lastly, uh, during, Advent, during Advent season, we wanted to remember Jesus and to remember that God gave. And we see that when we look at Jesus, God gave in three ways. He gave financially in the sense that he paid our debt. He gave tangibly that he was literally ripped on the cross for the sins of all who would believe. And then he also gave relationally. And so we said as a church, we're calling each other to give relationally. And so that means to spend time with people. Spend, spend just specific time with people that you want to spend time with more, that you don't normally get a chance to. Uh, we're saying also in this time, give tangibly. And so today we've been collecting clothes all day for the clothing drive. Um, if you haven't brought clothes or you forgot clothes, you can bring them back before the 7 o'clock service, um, and there'll be a van out there that can take the sweaters and scarves, sweatshirts, gloves, whatever it is that you have that you can give tangibly. And then lastly, we said that we were going to give financially. And as a church, we decided to partner with and give to an organization called Maggie's Place. Now, I've heard a lot about Maggie's Place because Praxis, now Redemption TMP, had partnered with Maggie, Maggie's Place for several years. I had the opportunity, and I would say the pleasure, at getting a chance to meet the staff and the women that are at Maggie's Place. In a second, you'll get a chance to hear about Maggie's Place a little bit more, but I can say from firsthand experience, meeting them, meeting these mothers, that our money um, that we give, ultimately God's money, that we give above and beyond our offering on the December 18th, it's going to bless this organization. This organization is a blessing to our city. Um, and 
crazy. They gave me the address to go meet at the house, and I realized it's literally like nine houses or something away from my house, like a stone's throw, right? Uh, just like that. Just call me Tim Tebow. I'm not, I was gonna, I'm not gonna do it. So if you guys can direct your attention to the screen, you guys can see a video that the team put together here about Maggie's place. When I heard of Maggie's place, I was like, you're joking, no way. They don't care that I'm pregnant, yeah, right. That's what I thought <laughs> until I came here. I got really bad into the drug scene when I was younger. My mom was out doing her own thing. So my dad was never really home to take care of me, so my brother raised me. And he was my brother, so he let me do whatever I wanted. I went to jail when I was 12, from 12 to 18, 14 times. When I got out, I went back to doing drugs, partying, not caring about myself. I was in a relationship with a, a guy. He was he was all right, um, but we had a we had a domestic violence fight one day, and I left and I went to a homeless shelter called Cass. There's other moms here that have had it worse than me. Like they're pregnant, actually like living on the street. They were actually sleeping like on sidewalks. I heard from a friend about Maggie's place. They're like, there's this good program you can go to. It's safe. You can have somewhere to live. You know, your baby can stay there with you. Maggie's place are homes of hospitality um, for pregnant women. They can come stay with us at any point of their pregnancy until their baby is six months old. When I got here, every mom, when they come here, they have a sign over here, back here, that says, welcome to Maggie's place, or welcome home, or, you know, and that was crazy because, you know, they're like, welcome Tabitha, and I didn't even know them. They showed me that that fridge behind us <laughs> was our mom's fridge, and I could eat anything in there, and I was like, oh my god, this is the first night that I'm going to go to bed not hungry. All the moms and staff, we live here together, um, so this is very much the staff's home, just as much as it is any of the other moms. We eat meals together, um, we sit at the kitchen table and play games together, we laugh together, um, we're very much a family. I wasn't going to a doctor or nothing, so that was a good thing that I came here because when you get here that's one of your goals is to get a primary care physician for you and your baby, get an OB. Each mom is very different as far as what their goals could be. Um, when they get here they could be working on their GED, they could be looking for other schooling in college, they could be looking for a job. Um, so depending on whatever their goals are, we try to provide them as many resources as we can. A lot of our moms are very motivated. They see the need that they need to change something in their lives and we really try to walk with them in that process. When you get here, you get a contact staff person, which is like someone you meet with week by week. If we need anything, they're there for us. It's not like, oh, get to me in five minutes or tell me in 10 minutes. If my baby needs something, Maggie's Place is here to help me if I need, if I need help. When they come here, they're really scared to be a mom and be homeless and afraid that they're not going to have what they need for their children. But being here, they're given parenting skills and um, the confidence, and they learn what their dignity is, um, what it is to be a strong woman, um, and just to share that motherhood with everybody. 
they're inspiring because of how much they love their children and how much they've changed just over, it could be a course of four months or a year, depending on their situation, but they change drastically. It's a big home full of pregnant women that love each other. That's basically what this place is. So that gives us some information about Maggie's place. And so on December 18th, um, that's two weeks from today, we're going to take a, collect, a collection, a special collection, and our goal is to raise $30,000 that will go towards Maggie's place. Now, um, it's something we want to do. Uh, we believe that it's something that we could do, and we could help these moms and help this organization as they continue to tangibly bless uh, women that are ex homeless women that are expecting, um, and they do a phenomenal job. I cannot say enough. Um, if you want more information on Maggie's Place, if, a place that you may want to serve in individually or even as a community group, again, take your information card um, in front of you, fill out your name and address, and we'll be able to get you the information to Maggie's Place. Um, would you guys bow your heads and pray with me before we look and and to the passage in the Word of God tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we've been blessed to be a blessing. And God, I do pray for Maggie's place and the three homes here in the valley. God, that you would continue to use them, Lord, as they provide for and care and equip and love these young women, Lord, and their babies. And Father, we know that um, they're just a picture of what we are spiritually before you. God, we are in need of your grace. And Father, you have been so good to us to extend it through the work of your son, Jesus. And so God, as we now look to your word, we pray that you would, by your spirit, illuminate the scriptures, Father, that you would help us see and savor and know and worship your son, Jesus. God, we pray that you would take our hearts and our affections and point them towards you, that in this moment of instruction, Lord, that we would submit to the scripture. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. And a good friend of mine um, lived, moved to New York City, and I really wanted her to go to church. She was a person that was hostile to Christianity. Um, she had a roommate in college, uh, a, kind of a mutual friend of ours that was a believer in Jesus. And um, I wasn't a Christian yet, but this girl, a sweet girl, but probably one of the most annoying girls that you'll ever see because she was always in your business, always in your face, always telling you how wrong you were by not being Christian, about not, by not, do, not doing certain things. And so my good friend was like, There's, the last thing I want to do is ever become a Christian. Well, when she moved to New York City, I said, I really want you to go to this church, Redeemer Presbyterian. Um, the pastor there is Tim Keller, who's somewhat of an um, idol of mine in some ways, but I really want you to go there. I've never been there. If I went there, I would die, but that's a whole other story. But go to this church. Well, she moved back, and, um, and she goes, no, I never went to that church you told me to go to, but I did go to this church called Redeemer Presbyterian. I'm like, clearly you weren't listening to me. That's the church that I told you to go to. And, and then she goes, and I went regularly. I'm like, really? For three years she was there. And I said, well, why did you continue to go back? She goes, for two reasons. One, Dr. Keller spoke in such ways that made that two things. One, he challenged Christians to live up to what the Bible said, and at the same time, he challenged me to become a Christian. And so I came week after week. And she goes, and the second thing was, every time I was there, the people there were so loving. She goes, it was anything I had ever experienced of any other Christian in my life, that every single week I went, I just felt some sort of presence. And she says, if there is a God, which I'm convinced there's a God, I, I'm just trying to figure that out, but if there is one, he definitely lives with these people because of how loving they were. They became my friends. They cared for me. There were people I hung out with, some of my dearest friends in the city. She was millions of people there, and yet these people took time for me. They loved me. She goes, I never had met Christians like that. And I was kind of at one point going, that's really good. Another point going, 
right? Come on now. That, 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 but, but there was something that, that she noticed. She did not believe in Jesus, but in her mindset, what she knew from, from historical accounts and what she knew from firsthand experience was that there are many Christians that don't live up to what the Bible says. And that, but, but because of this group of Christians, because they happened to love her, these New York City Christians at Redeemer Presbyterian Church, they loved her in such ways that she says, maybe there is a God. Maybe there's something valid about this, this text. Maybe there's something valid about the gospel. Now, she didn't become a Christian, but there was something about their love that made it compelling. In fact, Rodney Stark, who's a sociologist, one of my favorite guys to read now, talks about how Christianity grew in its early centuries. In fact, he said that Christianity grew 40% per decade in, in the first 300, first 300 years of Christianity. Now, he said there's all types of factors that go into that, but primarily the reason why they grew was because they just lived as normal people, but they loved out loud. They lived as normal people. They didn't have evangelistic programs. They didn't hand out gospel tracts. They didn't do street evangelism. They took normal jobs. They became normal moms and normal dads and normal people. And they, they loved Jesus a lot. Therefore, they loved their own and they loved those who were not their own. And he writes this in the book called The Rise of Christianity. And every time I read that, I'm thinking, oh, I so desperately want us to be a church like that. And, and it's no, it's no um, coincidence that when Paul now writes to this church in Thessalonica, he, he says this in chapter one, he lets us know that the gospel came to bear and it came in the power of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they were Christians. Now they were young Christians and they had issues, but one thing that this young church, this young believing church did was that they loved people and they loved them well. In our text tonight, what we see in four verses that Paul lays out to us, one, how he encourages this church for their love, and then he challenges them to love more and more, and then he gives us three ways in which we can grow in our love. Verse 9, Paul says this, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that is indeed what you were doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, Macedonia. So what he's saying is, listen, I don't need to tell you about love because you're already doing it. And here's why. They got the gospel. They really love Jesus. What my friend Betsy saw when she went to that church was she experienced people whose lives had been transformed by Jesus. And it wasn't in crazy ways. It was in simple as, do you want to go get a cup of coffee? Do you want to hang out? Because in her experiences, people don't do this, and especially in my experience of Christians, they just don't do things like this. And yet, when I hear it from the scripture, Paul says, you guys are doing a good job at loving. This church was a young church, but, but since they got the gospel, they were able to love. Paul goes on here, in verse, in verse 9 he says, for you yourselves have been taught by God. The first thing that any Christian should be marked by, that any church should be marked by, as the fruit of the gospel is love, because we're taught by God. Three ways in which God teaches us. One, God teaches us how to love through his scripture. But the scriptures ultimately point to the work of Jesus Christ, and it gives us commands to love one another. The second way that we see that, that God teaches us is God teaches us through the Holy Spirit. You know the primary function of the Holy Spirit is to take your heart and my heart and point it to Jesus? It's not just tongues or prophecy or things like that. It's taking your heart, my heart, our lives, and pointing to Jesus constantly. 
the, the, the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is selfless in the sense that it points to Jesus because it knows me and you as sinners, that's who we need to see. We need to see the work of Christ. And then lastly, the way God teaches this is by giving Jesus, by God himself coming. That's why we celebrate Advent. It's because we pause for a second and realize there were people that, that stood years and years before us that read their Old Testament and they knew that a Messiah was coming. They heard about this, this God or this Messiah or someone who would come and bring love that they've never seen. And then God comes in and a baby and he embodies love and he is love and he gives himself selflessly and sacrificially to those who are unlovable, even to the point of death. And, and so if you... If we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, the, the first thing that we should be known for is our love. This is, this is a few things that the scripture says about this. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, the Apostle John says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John also writes this elsewhere in 1 John, chapter 4. He says, In this love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. And that word propitiation, what that means is, is that the penalty for your sin and for my sin, God poured out his righteous anger and wrath completely upon Jesus, that he satisfied the anger of God on your behalf through faith in Jesus Christ. Because that, that's love. John also says in that same passage, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he, he who does not love his brother whom he, he cannot see, or whom he has seen, and starting over. For he who does not love his brother whom he has never, he's, oh goodness. Listen, if you don't love your brother and you can see him, <laughs> how could you love God? <laughs> If you can't see him, all right, paraphrase, Ebonic styles, right? So there, there's, there's what that is. The, the, the message is clear. The message is clear that if we see Jesus and we see the gospel and we see that God gave and that God, the way that God gives is that, that he gives his son Jesus and the way that he loves is that he gives himself for us. And now in response to that, we love. And Paul says, this church got it. This church got it. They, they were taught by God. And it goes on in verse 10. Paul says, for indeed, that is what you were doing. You're loving to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Now, I don't know how he knew that, but it was clear that somehow they were loving in such ways that people talked about it, that they were the talk of the town, and not just their, they loved not just their local church, but, but, but they loved the church in the entire area. And not just the city, but the entire region. And so what many people think is because this was a port city and people traveled there for business and trade, that these Christians were probably hospitable. They probably hosted other Christians that came from different towns to stay in their house and to break bread with them and to eat with them, that they cared. They, they just didn't focus on their, their own people group, that they loved all different types of people, that they were Jew and they were Gentile in there, so races didn't matter. They were upper class and they were lower class, so social economical issues didn't matter. There were people who were completely different, and yet because of the blood of Jesus Christ, they were able to be with one another. They were able to love one another. And, and he, here's what I would say. Just, just by a so what to that first point for us, we all can get better at loving. I would say this church is an awesome church. It's a loving church, but we all can get better. 
One thing I challenge the 10 o'clock service with, and um, not as much as you guys, but I'll challenge you guys too is, here's one way we can get better at loving when we gather. Say hello to people. Right? Some of you are laughing because you've emailed me. Hey, I come to your church and no one says hello to me. Let me just tell you, did you say hello to somebody else? All right, it goes both ways. It goes both ways, all right? Come into the church. Come into the building that the church gathers. Say hi to people, all right? I guarantee you, there's an assumption that we all know each other. We don't. One of the reasons why we put the greeting time where we put it at is so that we can have an extended greeting. And this is what happens. I'm going I'm to call you guys out a little bit. Hey, what's up? How you doing? And then Jason gets up. You, oh, can you please stand? Oh, please. Sorry, I wasn't sitting down. Was I really? Uh, yeah. We just, we do that greeting so that you can meet people and say, hello, my name is John. Nice to meet you. Um, hey, what are you doing after the service? Maybe you should go get something to eat with me. Oh, no, you don't want to go get something to eat with me? Okay, at least I try. All right? It's something as simple as that. It's just, just getting to know people. This morning, I want to make you guys do it. I just kind of said, raise your hand if you, you've been here for the last year. About 30 people said, I'm like, clearly, they, they don't know people. And so that's one of the ways we can start. You, you begin to love people if you, if you know them. Well, Paul commends the church on their love. He says, you're already doing it. But then he goes on. And the second part of verse 10, he says, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Meaning you never get to a point where you've loved enough. You never get to the point where you've been to enough coffee times or you, you've sent out enough texts or you said enough hellos to people that, that you love enough. And, and what Paul is doing is he's encouraging this church to get better, to become better at loving, become better lovers, become better friends, become better dads, better husbands, become better roommates in loving people. Like this, this is like Christianity 101. He says, but get better at it. Become a professional lover. I couldn't think of anything better all day. But just become a professional lover, right? When, when I first met my wife, um, um, back up. To join children's ministry here, you, you, you kind of go through this process where they do fingerprints and make sure you're not crazy. They do all these things they have to do, right? And so my wife's final step into to serve the children's ministry was she had to meet with Caitlin, who oversees and directs our children's ministry, and Ryan Arneson is one of the pastors here. And they asked her questions that they ask everybody. A, are you, are you married? How'd you meet your husband? Is he a good guy? And she's like, I don't know. I can't really tell you the truth right now because he's kind of your pastor. So it was a weird, weird, weird scenario. But Ryan, 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 uh, Pastor Ryan came back to me and said, hey, you know, your wife shared with me the story when you guys first met. And I'm like, oh, what version did she give you, right? And he brought up something that was interesting to me, and I forgot that I totally said this. But when I first met Holly, um, she asked, hey, what do you do for a living? And I said, oh, I'm in between jobs right now which is like a young professional way of saying, I ain't got a job, right? <laughs> I'm broke, probably gonna ask you for a ride home later. So when, <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm in between jobs, you know? And she goes, what do you wanna do? And I said, you know what, I wanna be a professional friend, right? Which is probably the lamest things you can say, but listen, 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 got the digits, right? So there's, there's a, <laughs> and, and the reason why I was telling her was like, at the time I was, I was a fairly new believer and I knew that I was not a good friend as a non-Christian. And when I read the, read the Bible, you see these guys writing letters to other men and other women saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I'm, I'm, I want to be with you, and I miss you. And it's like in very healthy, gospel-centered ways. And I'm like, gosh, can I do that? And, and I had to get better at loving. And so I wanted to be a professional friend. And it just so happened with Holly, I wanted to be really professional, right? And so there was a sense where I, I, I wanted to do that. Paul saying, get better at this. Get better at loving. Be, become someone who loves. And, and sometimes it's, it's hard. When I talked about just saying hello, that, that may sound simple, but I understand how hard that can be. One of the first persons that told me about my demeanor was a good friend of mine, and he said this, and he was 
honestly goes, hey, you know when you come into the room, you look like the most angry guy in the entire room. He goes, you never say hello to people, you never say hi, and he goes, and I know that's not you. And I'm like, what do you mean, right? <laughs> and, and I totally got it, and part of it was, and this was an insecurity of mine, I had a hard time just saying hello. Like, I just felt weird just doing this. I thought, oh, if I'll do it mass, uh, hello, right? I would try, I would try harder, and I just could, I couldn't do it. And, and so what nat naturally happened is, you guys, some of you guys, you know, this is what you do. And that, and, and that he was like, that just doesn't communicate. It communicates that, he honestly said this, that communicates that you're a jerk. And I thought, oh, well, I don't want to be a jerk, right? Paul, Paul, Paul says, listen, love and love better. Wherever you, wherever you are, get better. Ask the people who are close to you. Do I love well? They're probably going to say yes. Say, how can I get better? What are the things that I can get better in? What are some of the things that I do? It could be small, small ways. My friends tell me I need to text longer texts. That bothers me because, but I need to do it, all right? I, I need to not say, okay. I need to say, okay, I'll see you in 10 minutes or whatever it may be. <laughs> but, but in all honesty, a good friend of mine said, every time you do that, I feel like, dang, is he, is he mad at me? Am I annoying him? So it just, I need to get better at texting. So Paul says, you're doing this, but do this more. Now, he gives us three, three ways in which we can do this better, that we can grow, grow with. Uh, the first way is essentially keep your head down. The second way is mind your business. And the last way is work, work hard. Work really, really hard. And in doing so, you may win the favor of people who do not know Jesus to a point that they may come to know Jesus. So first one, keep your head down. Verse 11, Paul says, do this more and more and aspire to live quietly. Keep your head down. What that means is just aspire, work really, really hard to be a person who makes peace. Um, to, to live quietly doesn't mean don't talk. It doesn't mean don't tell people about Jesus. It doesn't mean that, that you're not supposed to laugh or be loud. It just means don't draw attention to yourself. You don't have to be the center of attention. Now, this is a fly to my face because it's a fly to any person in here who, who's an extrovert, who likes to be loud, and who likes to be the center of attention. He says, uh-uh, it's not about you. Quit, quit being the hero of your own story. It is, it is not about you. You are to love God, and you are to serve others. Live quietly, meaning seek peace. Don't be the person who always has to win the argument. You don't always have to get the last word. Don't be that guy. Don't be that gal. Um, this also means don't try to one-up each other. There's this weird thing where, where we want to one-up people that's just natural. You know, you get guys who, like, own businesses and stuff. Some of you employers, you say, hey, I, I bought a boat. Oh, yeah, you bought a boat? I bought a lake, right? And it's just, just <laughs> really, right? And, and I, don't, I don't know what it is in, like, young, broke, hipster language. I guess it's like, I got a crappy two-bedroom apartment. Or I got a one-bedroom crappy apartment. I, I, don't, I don't know what the equivalent <laughs> is of that. But there's a sense of saying, we're not going to one-up each other. That, that, that's, that's, that's not good. Live quietly. Try to live quiet lives. And, and, and lastly in that too is, um, I think to live quietly, also something I think we struggle with is just stopping all the complaining we do, right? Myself included. We're we just a complaining society. I, I think it's just in us. Like we complain about anything. Any opportunity we get to complain, we jump on it, right? For, for seven months out of the year, when it's summertime here, we complain that it's too hot. It's too hot. It's too hot. Every day. You live in Arizona, right? It's too hot. And then, yesterday, I was in downtown Tempe at the Phoenix, or the Tempe Art Festival, and every, guess what everybody was saying? Oh, it's cold. It's cold. Man, it's freezing. It's cold. How's it raining here? Oh, I can't. Arizona, of course, right? It's like, right? 
We complain. We will complain just about anything. We'll complain about the weather. We'll complain about the time. We'll complain about how hot it is, how cold it is. We'll complain about ASU football. I had to rebuke Justin last week. I said, listen, don't you believe in the gospel? Anything could happen, right? <laughs> we'll complain. And so, so for me, when it, so all, we, we get jobs, we work. One of the places where we feel like people complain the most, if we had to be honest, is at work. People come into their cubicles, they come into their offices, and they complain. When I was working as an admissions counselor at ASU, I was in this small cubicle with nine other people who, honestly, I thought hated me, right? And for, for just different reasons. And we didn't get along, but I tried to be cordial with them. I tried to love them. I, I did all the things I tell you guys to do, right? And so they complained every day. They complained about everything. Anytime an email would go up, they complained about it. So I'd go home and tell my wife, like, gosh, this job is ridiculous. These, these people that I work with, they're crazy. All they do is complain. And then she said, um, don't you realize that you just come home and complain about them complaining? <laughs> I said, oh, you're on their side. <laughs> right? It's convicting. Because it, it, it was very convicting. It's like, yeah, that is. I don't complain at work so that I can complain at home, right? That, 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 that's part of just, just, just keep your head down. Do what you're supposed to do. Do what you're called to do. Don't, don't, don't make a grab. Doesn't mean you don't speak. Doesn't mean you don't speak up. Doesn't mean you don't make observations. But, but, but do so um, with your head down. Be, 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 be a peacemaker. Be a peace seeker. Don't just talk the talk. The next thing Paul says that we can love, we can love better and get better at loving is, is minding our own business. Look at me. Christians, mind your own business. Ver, ver, verse 11 says this and to mind your own affairs. Now, in the Greek, what that means is you mind your business, and then I'll mind my business. In English, that means you mind your business, and I'll mind my business. And then those of you who are ebonically inclined, you stay out of my grill, I'm gonna stay out of your grill, all right? And so just, just mind your business. Now, what Paul is talking about here, he's, he's addressing a serious issue. And the issue here was that, and he addresses again later in 2nd Thessalonians. In fact, hold your spot here and turn two pages to the right to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. Because they didn't get it the first time, and Paul encouraging the love in 1 Thessalonians, now in 2 Thessalonians, he goes after it even harder. He says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, or laziness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. And what busy bodies mean that you're meddling. And so when it says mind your own affairs, it means that you are in this person's life, you are in this person's life, you want to know what's going on with this guy, you want to know what's going on with this girl, you want to know what she said and what he said, and why'd she break up with him, and why'd he break up with her, was it mutual, just all types of crazy stuff. And it, Paul is saying, no, 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 no. No, love people, serve people, bless people. But, but the way you will love, not just keeping to yourself, but minding your business. And so, so at the heart of this, you have selflessness versus selfishness. selflessness. Selflessness is the idea of saying, the reason why I'm getting into your life is to serve you because I love you. I'm putting your interests as greater than mine. Selfishness is saying, the reason why I'm in your life is so that I can know things. The reason why I'm in your life is because it's about me. I'm going to absorb. I want to know things just for my own information. Can't you just tell me a little bit more? And, and, and it almost looks like, really, are we talking about brotherly love still? Is Paul still talking about love and how to love people? And I would say, yeah, this, this, is, this is a great way to love people. Because at the heart of this, it's gossip, it's slander, and it's just being nosy. And, and, and 
all of us are guilty of this at some level, that we, we meddle. I mean, some of us, we're, we're people that we just have to know what the information is. We have to know the newest thing. And, and we're offended if we don't, we're not the first to hear it. Oh, you told her? I thought we were better friends. We, just, just a couple questions you, you can ask yourself when it comes to, you wanna share information? One, do I really need to know this? This piece of information I'm gonna, I'm gonna share, do I even really need to know this? And the second question is, does the person I'm gonna share with this with, do they really need to know this? Just a couple questions. Because we, we see ourselves doing that. We meddle in people's lives. And, and there was a blog I was reading and this lady wrote on it and I thought it was beautiful because she talked about essentially how, how she wouldn't call herself a busybody or meddler. And she says, but what I realize, I do that all the time. I don't do it with live interaction, I do it on the internet. I go from one website to the next website. I go from one blog to the next blog. I wanna see what this person said and what this person said. And then I go to my Facebook. I check this person's status. I check the other person's status. Oh, I can't believe she said that. I go, oh, in a relationship, out of relationship, what happened? And she says, I just, I look at these things. I go to bed, I wake up in the middle of the night because I need to check my friend's status because you don't know, something could have changed, right? And she's just saying, I, I, I jump from thing to thing to thing. And, and lastly, when it comes to um, minding your own business, as Christians, we need to understand the difference between gospel and preference when it comes to sharing advice to people. Here's what I mean. Gospel is what's in the scripture, what's explicit, what points to Jesus, what, is Je what has Jesus done for us, and what has he called us to do in light of what he's done for us. That's gospel. And then there's preference. Preference is things that is not necessarily sinful. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's something that we proceed with wisdom from what God has said. When we counsel people, when we speak with people, when we disciple people, we need to be very careful that we are heavy on gospel, we give our advice when it comes to preference, and then we back up. Because what happens is, especially with Christians, we give advice or we give preference as if it's gospel. In my short years in ministry, one of the biggest wars that comes over this is how to school your kids. I was dumbfounded. In fact, I became a Christian. I learned a lot of things about Christians. One, everyone's allergic to peanut, peanuts. Um, people, which is, I never meant that. I've never had, ne just peanuts, really? And so I get it now. I get it. Don't, don't hate on me. But the, the school thing was, how dare you homeschool your kids? How dare you public school your kids? You better not Christian school your kids. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. One, I don't have any kids yet. But why, why are you telling me this? Which, it's preference. Gospel would be, you need to care for your kids, don't neglect your kids, you need to teach them about Jesus, you need to raise them in the ways of the Lord. That's gospel. Now, how you do that? You pray with your wife, you pray and say, where do you want to send them? Do we want a homeschool? Do we want a Christian school? And that's up to you. And you make a good decision before the Lord, because you're the one who would have to stand in account. That's what I mean, right? So I hope on our pastoral team, we have people that homeschool kids, we have people that public school, people that Christian school, we're not gonna send our kids to school, and so that we can all just be balanced. <laughs> We just be balanced. So you guys should know, cool, right? They educate this way, this way, and then their kids, they just, hey, it's all about Jesus, right? But, but that, that's just a simple way to say there's other things, and there's some things that are petty. And when I say petty, they matter, but they don't matter as much as the gospel. Things like, are you a cloth diaper person, or are you a disposable diaper? Oh, disposable, huh? Oh, oh. Do you love Jesus, right? And, and people, people you, you, you just, you want to know. You don't have, you, you, you just want to know. People are nosy. You know one of the things that, that used to bother me, I'm just going to tell you right now, 
is when it just, people really wanted to know who I was going to vote for in this last election. You want to know why? You're black, and yet you're a conservative theological guy. So where are you going to, are you Democrat or are you Republican? You know what I told them? Mind your business. <laughs> Mind your business. But wouldn't you want to know, right? If you're that person you want to know, you're nosy, right? And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here, all right? So mind your business in a sense. Love people in the sense of care for them, bless them, serve them, but don't get too far. Give gospel. Give gospel and then offer your preference. Offer it, but then step back and let them make a decision and don't scold them for making a decision that's not uniquely sinful. Amen? All right, last thing Paul gets to you is, one, keep your head down, mind your business, and then lastly is work hard. Um, keeping with the same issue that people were idle and people were lazy, Paul says this, and to work hard with your own hands as we, destructed, as we instructed you. And so Paul, what we, we learned about in the first couple chapters is that Paul, when he was in Thessalonica, he had a job. And that Paul made leather and he made tents and he sold it. And he didn't do it just to evangelize. He did it, one, to make money, and he also did it to show them how to work. So here's the issue that was going on. Now that these people had been brought into this brotherly love, this family, this Philadelphia, where we get that word, now you had Christians who were rich and Christians who were poor, and you had, like I said before, this eclectic group of people, and then many commentaries believe that they had a bad um, view of eschatology, which is just a theological word that means your study of end times. So their view was, oh, Jesus is coming back. He can come back at any moment, which is true. Therefore, we shouldn't work. Why should we work if Jesus is going to come? He can come tomorrow. You know, let's just hang out. And it was the poor Christians who were saying this to the rich Christians. And so now the rich Christians got obliged and said, okay, I guess we need to pay for you. And Paul's saying, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because Jesus is coming, in light of Jesus is coming, work hard with your own hands. Be someone who works hard. Work in itself is not a result of the curse. In fact, work in itself was something that God gave Adam to do and Eve to do when he first made them. He made Adam, he made this beautiful garden, and he said, get to work. Not because of sin, get to work, because it glorifies God. Whether you work at McClintock High School, or whether you work at Starbucks, or whether you work at ASU, or you work at U.S. Airways, whatever it is that you do, God's given you that job as a means of grace to glorify God and to increase your joy. Now, there was a fall, and there was a curse, and so work is hard. There's thorns and there's thistles, meaning there's times you won't want to go to work. You won't want to wake up. You will have people at your office that complain, and you'll complain about them when you go home. That, that's, that's what happens. But it's something that glorifies God, and Paul is, is, is encouraging this church. One of the ways to love is, is, is not to be dependent upon other people. One of the ways that you can love people is not to be dependent. Now, I want to be clear. There's a difference between people in need and needy people. People in need... Um, like people in this room, some people in this room, that you just kind of had some things happen to you or in a tough spot, you need people to help you financially. You may need people to help you pay your rent. You may need people to come alongside and, and help you during a season to get back on your feet. That's not what he's talking about. Some of you are in this room and you're, you're unemployed. He's not talking about unemployment. He's talking about people who have opportunity um, and ability. They have the opportunity to work and the ability to work and yet they're not as opposed to you may have the opportunity to work but not the ability because there may be a physical ailment. Or you may have the ability but not the opportunity because you can't get, there's unemployment. And so he's not talking about that. But people like that as the church, that's who we come alongside. We love them, we help them, we raise money for them within our redemption communities and we, we, we help them 
so that they can provide for their family because we are their family, amen? Needy people are people who are constantly needy. They don't take advice. They don't listen. You tell them this is probably not wise to spend your money on a brand new $200 pair of Air Jordans, but, but don't, don't do that, and they do it anyway. And then they say, hey, I need money for my light bill. And you go, wait a minute. We just told you about this. Needy people are people that, in, in very small ways, they're, 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 it's the guy who says, hey, let's go to lunch. Where do you want to go? Ruth's Chris. Okay, and you get there, and you buy this nice steak, and he goes, oh, man. Yo, dog, I, I forgot my wallet, right? Uh, who would have thought? And he does it again and again and again. Th- th- those, those, those are needy people. Paul says, no. I can't say this more clearly. Get a job and get the best job that you can get. And when you get that job, work as hard as you can get. One, because it glorifies God and increases your joy. Second, when you get a job, you're able to provide for your own needs. And third, when you get a job, you're able to provide for the needs of others. At the very heart of love is that you become a giver. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. And I'm not just talking giving financially. I'm saying your whole life, you embody that you give. You give ultimately praise to God and you serve God tangibly by serving the people around you by serving your neighbors, by serving your family, by serving your community, that you give. That, 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 that's what Paul is saying. Work hard with what God has given you. When we, when we fail to, to, to live this life, ultimately, when we fail to, in brotherly love, one, mind our own business, live a life of peace, and to work hard at our jobs, to be good employers, to be good employees, but in essence, that's sin. That, that's 2 Thessalonians when Paul goes after them. Because at the very heart of that, you're either gossiping, you're, you're lazy, you're idle, you're slandering, and ultimately you don't love. And if you're not loving, you can't really sit here and say, I follow Jesus. Because there's no way that you're looking at Jesus and seeing what he's done, and yet you're not reciprocating that love. Paul says it's sin, and it's sinful. So what are we to do? Are we to work harder at it, or just try really, really hard, or give you five things that you can do to be a better worker or to mind your own business? No. This, it's, the solution is the same solution every week. You guys know it. It's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's why. The same one that gives us this Protestant work ethic, the same one that lays out this command for us to have this brotherly love is the same one who laid his life down in order that we may live it. That God himself gave himself freely. He gave of himself ultimately to die for our sins, all of our sins, including sins of selfishness, of nosiness, of laziness, of just idle, idleness, slander. He died for all those that paid the punishment of our sins, the, the penalty of our sin. He suffered for us. And then God raised him from the dead, and in raising him from the dead, he gives us his Holy Spirit that we now have the righteousness of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, and he empowers us now to live a life of love. And that now in response to Jesus, and only in response to Jesus, now can we please God by loving one another and by loving those around us. Now, according to this text, that when we live that life and respond to the gospel, in the same way that my friend Betsy were around those type of Christians and thought, it's worth coming back. It's worth being around. Paul says you now have witness. You are now truly missional. So if you understand in a nutshell, what does it mean to be missional? It means to love God and to love your neighbor by minding your business, by keeping your head down, and by working really, really hard. And Paul says when you do that, people may come to know Jesus. Verse 12, he closes with this. 
so that you may walk properly before outsiders. He's saying you're doing a good job at loving. Do it more and do it in these ways so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. If Christians just, if we just lived in the city that God's called us to live in, whether it's Tempe or whether it's Gilbert, whether it's Chandler or Mesa, wherever you live, if you just lived in that city and you took jobs in that city and you worked distinctively, not to be a Christian plumber or a Christian teacher, but someone who's a teacher, someone who's a plumber, someone who gives coffee, but happens to be passionately in love with Jesus, Paul says people will come to know Jesus. That, that in itself will be a witness because it would be so uniquely different than anything else in the culture. They can't help but say, we don't like it or we love it and we'll come back again. Amen? That's, a, that, that's our prayer. And, and I think it's a perfect, a perfect close just to remind us, even in our Advent season, that we love in the way that God loved. Right? That, that, that's exactly what God did. God came to a place that was not his home, ultimately to love. And the way that he did that is he came to love unlovable people by sacrificially giving himself. And now we, those of us who are in here who follow Jesus, we do the same thing. Not to win people to Jesus, but because we ourselves have been won, loved, accepted, loved, redeemed, and forgiven by Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, one, that you are a God who gives we start with your character. You are good. We don't have to look anywhere else. God, we confess to you, Lord, our own selfishness. And Lord, the fact that we do speak when we shouldn't speak. Father, we, we find ourselves not being good employers and not being good employees, Lord. Because we find ourselves working for men and not for you. And your word says the work as you are a boss. And you are a good boss. And you give freely. And so God, we ask, Lord, that we may understand the gospel of Jesus that would motivate us, that would grow us, that would encourage us, that would draw us near to you, Father. And God, during this season, as we, we make a discipline of waiting for your son, Jesus, God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to remind us how to love and how to get better at loving, how to reach out to those who are in seats next to us and those who are in classrooms as we, as we go to school and those who ride the bus with us and those, Father, who work and Saracene coffee place with this Lord that we would be able to reach out to them not for the sake of just winning them to Jesus though that is very important but because we have seen you and we've seen how much you love and we've seen how much you've given and God that we can't help because of the Holy Spirit within us that testifies that we are your children to go and do likewise Father we thank you in Jesus' name Amen